As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it up to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, a few years ago I was talking to a friend of mine who was a sports medicine doctor, and he was telling me about the importance of muscles being in balance. Apparently a lot of our muscles kind of work together in pairs, and you actually have these trains within your muscular system, and so a lot of aches and pains that we deal with in life are actually a result of imbalances in the muscle. They either get too weak or too tight, and you become that guy. You know what I'm talking about? The guy that's like, oh, my back just kills me. Hey, honey, can you bring me the remote control? My back's really hurting, you know, and can you bring a sandwich whenever you're bringing me? You know, you become that guy because you get these imbalances in, in your muscles, and particularly important are your core muscles, your muscles in your stomach, uh, your hips, because they help balance the entire body, and if they get off, then your entire muscular system gets off. Well, in Pastor Lash World, one of my goals is to help you have a balanced, biblical, healthy theology. Everyone in here has a theology. You may not realize that you do, but you do. You have a way that you understand God, a way that you process the world, and you have a theology. It's important that you have a biblical theology, that your theology is not just, well, this is what I think, but that your theology derives from, this is what God has said. And it is vitally important that you have a theology. Why? Because how you understand God determines how you answer a lot of the ultimate questions in life. Questions like, where do we come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? How am I supposed to treat people while I'm here on earth? What are, what are the important relationships? What's the reason for family? What's the reason for marriage? What is our sexual ethics supposed to be? These are some of the ultimate questions of life, and what you think about God determines how you answer those ultimate questions in life. And my observation has been that often people will develop some imbalances within their theology. And when they do, it can lead to multiple aches and pains within their spiritual life. Of particular importance is your understanding of two concepts, God's holiness and God's grace. Because those two theological concepts form, in a lot of ways, the core of your theology. And they kind of become the support muscles within your theological framework. So today, if you'll stick with me. Now today, my sermon's a little bit different than normal. I'm going to be talking more, kind of, a little bit more technical, a little bit more theological than normal. But if you'll stick with me, I, I think that I can help you. I think I can help bring these two concepts of holiness and grace into balance for you. They're obviously very complex subjects that we could talk about for many, many weeks. I'm going to try to do it in 30 minutes. Uh, but I think, I think if you'll stick with me today 
and hopefully uh, you drink an extra cup of coffee, you're good to go, uh, that, that we'll, we'll learn something today from God's Word. So look with me to Luke chapter 11 and verse 24. The Bible says, when an unclean spirit comes out of a man, it roams through waterless places looking for rest and not finding rest. It then says, I'll go back to my house where I came from. And returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. And as a result, that man's last condition is worse than the first. Now, what is the context here? Jesus has freed a man from a demonic spirit. And no sooner did Jesus free that man from the demonic spirit that that man became the center of controversy. Because those in attendance began throwing an accusation down at Jesus that he had healed the man not by God's power, but by demonic power. We looked at that passage a couple of weeks ago. And then after wrestling with that accusation, Jesus begins talking about the man's real issue. You see, when a man is freed from the Spirit, Jesus says, the man says to himself, you know what, I need to change some things. God has freed me, Jesus has done this work in me, so I need to get the house in order, is how the Scriptures describe it here in the story. And so this man quits doing some stuff. He quits getting drunk on Saturday nights. He uh, starts going to church a couple times a month. He posts Christian things on his Facebook page. He tries to be a better man, to do the right thing. Well, meanwhile, Jesus talks about the demonic spirit that was cast out of him. And this demonic spirit is now homeless. In fact, this demonic spirit is traveling through waterless lands like a Hiker in the middle of a wilderness that cannot find a drink of water. This demonic spirit is dehydrated and he is growing weary. And so he says to himself, enough of this. I'm going back home. So he arrives back home at this man's body. And whenever he gets there, he is surprised to see that the guy has cleaned the house. Things are not like they used to be. The guy had gone to Mardell's and he had bought some Christian art, and there were scriptures on the wall, and there was a Bible now on the living room table. The guy had bought a fish emblem for his truck, and he had put it proudly right next to the come and take it cannon there on his truck. And so the guy was really cleaning up his act, and he was trying to behave better. So the demon says to himself, if I'm going to move back into this guy's life, I'm going to need backup. And so in the story, the demon goes and he gets seven of his friends and he comes back to the man's life. Now you need to know something about evil. Evil doesn't try to hit you where you're strong. Evil tries to hit you and tempt you where you are weakest. And so this man and the other demons are able to overcome the man. Perhaps he tries to resist, but eventually he succumbs and he goes back to his old life. And the guilt that he has for abandoning uh, God drives him even further into the darkness and away from God. Now the problem in the story was that the man was trying to look the part to clean up the house, but he had an empty heart. He was trying to behave. He was trying to be holy, 
But like a pig returning to the mud, a sinner returns to the sin. You see, his need was not simply behavior modification. His need was heart transformation. He needed to place his faith in Jesus Christ as Savior so that God's Holy Spirit could come dwell within him. Because when God's Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your soul, there isn't any room for the demonic spirit. So Jesus tells this story to illustrate this man's need for heart transformation. And as he is saying these words, verse 27, A woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, The womb that bore you and the one who nursed you are blessed. Now can you imagine being in this scene? All this teaching is going down, this action is going down, and then this lady just raises up and says, The womb that bore you and the one who nursed you be blessed. Now, this is a little bit of an odd passage of Scripture. What is this woman getting at? Well, she's, she's trying to sound spiritual. She's pronouncing a blessing, a blessing not just on Jesus, but a blessing on Jesus and His mother. And she's saying good things. There's nothing wrong with the things that she is saying. She's evidently heard some stuff from Jesus that, that was from God. Have you ever met someone that suffers from hyper-spiritual talking syndrome? You ever met that? <laughs> you know, you talk to, I see that you have. Yeah. Uh, you, you ask them, well, how are you doing today? And they're like, well, like showers in the arid land. So have the showers of blessings fallen down upon my life. And you're like, huh? You know, I just wanted to know how you're doing. And as you talk to them, like every conversation is just seasoned with all sorts of verses. And usually those verses are taken out of context. But, you know, every, every sentence has multiple verses within it. And you're like, I just wanted to know, how are you doing? And so finally, they managed to come down out of the clouds, and they're like, well, my marriage is on the rocks, my kids won't talk to me, I can't keep a job, and three people in front of me on Facebook today. You know? They have all the Christian words, but, but sometimes their, their lives don't really necessarily match the words. But look at how Jesus reacts to her. Verse 28, he said, Even more, those who hear the word of God and keep it are blessed. So he begins bridging two ideas. One is the individual that has heard the word of God, and the other, and, and also keeps the word of God. Now you have two people here in the passage. You have this man who was pursuing holiness. He was trying to behave better. But what he really needed was the spirit of God within him. He needed the grace of God to change him from the inside out. He needed more than just getting his house in order. He needed his heart transformed by the grace of the Lord. And then you have this woman who is saying the words of grace, and Jesus responds to her, it's one thing for you to hear the word of God, it's another thing for you to keep it. You see, she needed her actions to match her words. So let's talk today about holiness and grace. 
Now, it's important, first of all, that we understand what holiness and grace are. So let's start with holiness. Holiness, in its simplest form, refers to God's purity. The fact that in God there is no sin, there is no corruption, that He is absolutely pure, He is absolutely righteous, He is in every way holy. Now, holiness also refers to the idea of transcendence. What transcendence means is that God is not of the creation. God is apart from the creation. All the creation came out of God. Now, this is very different than what you have in the Eastern religions, which actually see God within the creation, kind of the universe is God, if you will. But within Christianity, our holy God is beyond the creation, and He is also beyond us. So God is holy. Now, God also extends to us grace. Grace is one of those words that we talk about, we sing about. It is an amazing thing grace is. What is grace? Well, the Sunday school answer to that is that grace is the unmerited favor of God. In other words, it is God's undeserved gift, His undeserved favor towards you. Specifically, God extends His grace to us when He saves us. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of our sin and adopted into the family of God. When our faith is in Christ, we receive the grace of God and we are adopted into that family, not because of anything that you did or how good or how spiritual you are, but because of what God has done for you. Your understanding of holiness and grace will become core muscles within the framework of your theology. Now, here's my observation. That for many people, holiness and grace do not work together, but for many people, holiness and grace have become a theological tug-of-war pulling against each other. And in many aspects of the Christian community, the same is true. Holiness seems to be opposed to grace. Now, this is compounded by the fact that most people have a natural bent one way or another. That's just part of your personality. It might be part of your spiritual giftedness, that you just have a natural bent that I wouldn't want to take away from you. I just want you to be balanced with it. But you're going to kind of lean one way or the other. Some people within the room are holiness people. Good behavior is really important to you. It's important that you do the right thing. People may have called you over the years a rule follower. Do I have any rule followers in the house today? Yeah, the 830 service was full of them. But, uh, you know, you're kind of, you, you like to do the right things. Good behavior is very important to you. You'll probably, within your theological framework, kind of have a little bit of a holiness bent. Now, there's others within the room that have more of a natural grace bent. It's very important to you that people love one another, uh, that you be kind to each other, that we extend forgiveness. You're probably a hugger, you know. It'll be okay, you know, just let me give you a hug, you know. And that's kind of more your natural bent to extend grace and to talk more about the love of God. And whenever you see God, you see Him usually more through that lens 
of grace and love than you do through the lens of holiness. So most of us in this room, we, we naturally, if we're really honest, lean one way or the other, and we tend to misunderstand each other, which causes this spiritual tug-of-war to take place. And it's kind of like you're either on the holiness side or you're on the grace side. Realize this, that your God-given gifts and personality will usually determine your theological bent. But you must take great care not to abuse your gifts. Because our strengths become our weaknesses when we abuse our gifts. The very gift that God has given you can become your greatest weakness whenever you abuse that. And you use it in a way that is unholy and ungraceful. So let me talk to you a little bit about holiness abuse. There are several different ways over the years that people have abused God's holiness. I'm going to talk about three levels of holiness abuse. Level one goes like this. Those who love Jesus are just like me. Those that love Jesus look like me, talk like me. They hold the same preferences as I do. Now, the way that this often plays out is there are certain things that become marks of holiness. And those things are generally preferences when you really get down to it. It could be, for example, uh, the way that you dress whenever you come to church. It could be, um, I'll I'll give you an example, a practical one. Uh, Within some realms of Christianity, there was the idea that, that women should only wear dresses, that they should never wear pants. Is there anything wrong with someone deciding, you know what, I'm just going to wear dresses? A lady deciding that I'm only going to wear dresses. <laughs> okay, I don't want to even get into the whole transgender debate today, okay? That, that could be another sermon sometime. Or, right. Is there anything wrong with someone deciding that? No, nothing wrong with someone deciding that. I mean, what, what business of it is yours? Where it becomes wrong is whenever you start saying, well, anybody that doesn't only wear dresses isn't right with God. Or anybody that doesn't dress like me doesn't doesn't really love Jesus. And so that has become a a deal within some circles of Christianity over the years. You know, if you listen to any music that's not Christian, then you're not holy. If you don't carry uh, this particular Bible, then you're not holy. And these issues have been used as holiness abuse within the history of Christianity. Now, there's a level two of holiness abuse. And that goes that to be saved, one must do more good than bad. Now, this is very detrimental because this goes at the heart of the gospel. Rather than us receiving salvation through Jesus Christ, it turns our salvation into something that is works-oriented. I often call it scales theology. What I mean by that is that the vision is, or the, what, what they, the concept is, is that whenever you get to heaven, St. Peter is going to come out and say, why should I let you in? And you say to St. Peter, well, look at all this good stuff that I've done. And there will be these theological scales there. And if you've done more good than bad, then St. Peter will say, come on in. And if your bad outweighs your good, then 
St. Peter will say a couple things. He, he might say, well, you tried, so we'll let you burn that off for a few years and then we'll let you in. Or he might say to you, you are condemned, you were just so bad, you're out of here, you know, you're gone. And this scales theology has been an abuse of holiness because it has turned salvation, which is a work of God, into a work of humanity. And it has totally stripped the story of Christ from the grace of God. And in doing so, it has gone into the realm of holiness abuse. Now, there's a third level of holiness abuse. And that is where you use holiness as a political means or a cultural means to force people to conform. Now, think about medieval uh, times. If you didn't do exactly what the priest said or what the church said, you could be killed. Did you know that for many, many years it was thought that the only Bible, the only language that the Bible should be written in, read from, worshipped from, was Latin, that Latin was the language of God. And so when they first began translating the Scriptures into English, it was considered a crime. In fact, there were, there were printers who were taken from their homes out into the street, and they were burned to death along with their printing press, and their crime was simply printing the English Bible. That's holiness abuse, okay? If you don't do what I think you should do, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to harm you in some way. Now, there's also been, historically, grace abuse. Level one grace abuse goes like this. Grace is God's gift to me. So because God has given me grace, because I've been forgiven of my sins, then I can just do what I want to do. I'm forgiven. And so, therefore, I will receive God's gift of salvation, and then I will just live my life as if I'm God, and I don't have to worry about holiness, and I don't have to worry about trying to do the right things because I'm saved, and I can just live life however I want to live because I've received the gift of grace. That's not really understanding grace. That's abusing grace. A second level of grace abuse says, Grace is God's gift from me. Grace is a gift from God, and it is His to share. So, because I don't earn my salvation, because salvation is not up to me, grace is God's gift to me. There has been this view that it belongs to Him. He gave it to me. I'm thankful that He gave it to me, but I don't have any responsibility in sharing the message of grace with others. And so you become a grace hoarder. You're thankful for grace, but it just belongs to you. And you ignore those passages of Scripture where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all peoples. You, you ignore uh, the, the covenants throughout the Old Testament that talks about how the gospel, how the story of God is reaching out so that all peoples on earth might be blessed through Jesus. I don't know exactly all the ins and outs of how God does it, but I do know this, that God has called me and he's called you to be a part of the expansion of the gospel. Grace is not something that was simply meant to be received and hoarded. Grace is the greatest gift that God has ever extended to you, and it's meant to be shared with others as well. And the message of grace 
is meant to be proclaimed to people that don't look like us, talk like us, live near us. Grace is not meant to be hoarded. When you hoard grace and you neglect missions and evangelism, you are abusing grace. Well, there's a third level of grace abuse. And that says that because of God's grace, it's all good. I mean, all good. It frequently rolls into a theological stream called universalism, which goes like this. We were all bad. Jesus came and died on the cross for all of our sins. So now everybody's good. It's all good now. Jesus has come. Grace is here. It's all good. And whenever you go down that road, generally Christianity begins to morph into some type of New Ageism, and the teachings of Scripture are completely neglected, and an entirely new system of thought and theology begins to develop. So historically, a lot of people have abused holiness. A lot of people have abused grace. So let's bring this back into balance. Grace and holiness are not a tug-of-war. They're not against each other. They are actually two concepts of God that work together. God's holiness reveals His glory. Whenever we understand God's holiness and who He is, His purity, it reveals to us the glory, the majesty, the greatness, the beyond us of God. At the same time, God's holiness reveals His glory. It also reveals to us our inability to measure up. No matter how hard you try to behave to get the house in order, you can't measure up to God and His glory. You remember Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, and, do you remember the last part of it? Fall short of the glory of God. So ultimately, God's holiness reveals His glory, and in our sin, we understand, I fall short of that. God's holiness drives me, it drives me to grace. Holiness and grace are not against each other. God's holiness actually drives me to God's grace. And where do we see God's grace most vividly? In Jesus Christ. We see God's grace clearly in God sending His Son out of His love to live the life that we could never live, to die on the cross for you and me, to overcome death, and to extend the invitation that all who believe in Christ will be seen in Christ. And when God sees us in Christ, we have forgiveness for our past, we are adopted into the family of God, and we have eternity with God in heaven, not because of our goodness or who we are, but because of who Christ is. Holiness drives us to grace. But now grace should never lead us to say, it's all good. Now I can just do what I want. I'm saved. I know where I'm going when I die, so now I'm just going to live like God and however I want to live. None of your business. Don't judge me, man. Grace drives us back to holiness. Because whenever we are truly saved, we begin to understand that part of being made in the image of God is the call to reflect God's glory in all that we are and all that we do. 
And so the holiness of God drives us to the grace of God. And then whenever we truly begin to understand the grace of God, it drives us to want to live a life of holiness that reflects the glory of God to those around us. Holiness and grace are not in competition. Holiness and grace are in balance with one another. They work together. And so Jesus said to this woman, even more, those who hear the word of God and keep it are blessed. On other occasions, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Why? Because our love for Jesus drives us to be obedient to his commandments. God doesn't call you just to behave better. God calls you to salvation. And salvation is more than just asking Jesus into your heart. Salvation is a call to life transformation. Now these ideas are are kind of close to my heart here because of my own my own testimony, my own life. I grew up in church. I'm a pastor's kid. I wrote my name for the first time in macaroni in the middle of children's church, you know. So, so I, I grew up running the halls of church and went to church three times a week from the time I was negative nine months of age, you know. And uh, I was saved at the age of six. I was baptized at the age of seven. They were genuine. You say, well, you didn't understand everything. No, I didn't understand everything, but I believed. God's call is not for us to understand everything. God's call is for us to believe in Christ. I still don't understand everything. And the scariest theologian in the room is the one that thinks they have all the answers. We're all still learning. We're all still growing. It's a journey. But I was saved. I was baptized. It was genuine. And I grew up in church. But whenever I was a young man, I I fell into... I guess it would be a form of holiness abuse because in my own mind, in my own theology, I thought that God would love me more because of what I did. And so I would try to dress the part. I would try to do the right thing. I would try to say the right thing. And in my mind, I was trying really hard because if I did that, God would love me more. And then through the course of time, there were some people that helped me come to this understanding, the the truth of God's grace. And I began to discover that God's love for me is not based on my loveliness. That God doesn't love me because of what I do or what I don't do. God loves me in Christ. And it's because God's love for me is in Christ that His love for me can be unconditional and eternal Because He loves me through His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. And so I remember one day when all this was kind of coming together in my mind, I wrote wrote a phrase down that has become one of my, for lack of a better term, lashisms. And that phrase is this, I do because I am, not in order to be. And what I mean by this is, we do the right things. We do the holiness things. 
We read our Bibles, we come to church, we seek to grow in our walk with God, we seek to treat others well, we seek to lead our families and to serve our families, we give of our offerings, we pray, we do all these things that we would call holiness acts, we do all those because we are God's child, not in order to be God's child. We seek holiness in our life because we are His. Because the holiness of God has led me to the grace of God, and the grace of God is now leading me back to the holiness of God. I want to tell you that was a breakout point for me. It was one of those areas whenever it it came into balance that so much of the scriptures began to make sense to me, so much of the Christian life began to make sense to me. And, And my prayer for you today is we've journeyed through some deep waters of theology is that you too will experience a balance in your life as you begin to understand God's holiness and God's love. And you begin to realize what Jesus meant when he said, even more, those who hear the word of God and keep it are blessed. That deep joy, that deep blessing will occur in your life Whenever you hear the word of God, you embrace the grace of God, and then it leads you to keep the commandments of God. So I pray for that in your life. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? If today is your day of salvation, if today you need to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, if there's anything that I may pray with you about, help you through... I am here at the front. I would love to be a pastor to you. The band is coming and they're going to lead us in a time of worship. You can sing with them. You may feel led to pray during this time. You can pray at your seat. You can pray here at the front. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and we thank you that you are indeed holy. That there is no corruption in you. There is no sin in you. That we don't have to come before you with worry that you have a corrupt agenda for our lives or for the world around us. But that we know that within you is complete purity and righteousness. Father, we also realize that our salvation is not of ourselves. Our salvation is through your grace. And so, Lord, we adorn ourselves in that grace and help us, Lord, to realize the depth of it that it is not just the beginning point of our walk with You, but that Your grace is also the sustaining point of our walk with You. Help us, Lord, not to be individuals that abuse holiness or abuse grace. Instead, Lord, help us to see how they work together so that as we love You, we obey Your commandments. That as we hear Your Word... We do what it says. Father, may we not be filled with our own fleshly evil desires, but may we be filled with your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be new creations in Christ who are being changed from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.